Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is the second episode of the brand new series of Philosophy. We're trying to bring it to you every week now with thanks uh, from Mike Howell, our US-based uh, audio producer and uh, young podcast Mike who's now come on board to wrangle guests and book in interviews and uh, make all this magic happen, put it on social media and all that sort of stuff. So if you're hitting us up on Twitter or Facebook at our um, Willosophy uh, pod uh, sites, uh, then uh, Young Mike Hell. Uh, no, Young Michael, sorry, Young Mike, Podcast Mike. This is confusing for me. How can it? I, I'm trying to explain it to you and I don't even understand it myself. There are two men who help bring you this podcast. Their names are both Michael. It's a little bit confusing. Uh, young Mike, Podcast Mike, uh, is running the socials because he's a young person and knows how to do those sort of things. James Fosdyke, of course, does all the wonderful, beautiful original art for each episode. And uh, if you would like to support this podcast in any way, we have a TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P, Patreon page, patreon.com slash TOFOP, and you can go there and support all of our podcasts. And some of that money obviously goes to James and to Mike Hal and to uh, young uh, podcast Mike uh, to help them uh, make these episodes happen. So there you go. Uh, I don't really make any money out of it. We might get a sponsor at some stage and it might, might start paying for itself. But at the moment, it costs me a bit of money to make each of these episodes. So if you can chip it a bit or if you can just come and see me live. That's the best way to do it. If I'm coming to your town and you want to come and see a live show, that way you get a live show, but you're also helping support the podcast. My new tour is called We're Legal. Uh, when you hear this, it'll be on at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Uh, that's my home festival. Melbourne is the city that is most supportive to me in my career and has been for all my life. And I've just moved home to Melbourne uh, for the very first time since I started out there in the Melbourne comedy scene. So it's a very exciting time for me to bring a show that is incredibly personal to me. And uh, I've just done a weekend as I'm recording this of uh, shows in Brisbane and the show has come together really, really well. So I'm very excited about taking it to Melbourne and showing it to the people of Melbourne. After that, I'll be off to uh, Canberra, uh, off to Perth, off to Sydney and a bunch of other places as we add dates later on in the year. But all those places are already on sale. So come out and see a show. Today's episode is with the fabulous Hamish Blake. Now, this is pretty exciting. Uh, got to sit down with Hamish. We only had a limited period of time because... Uh, I had to go and get an MRI on my little neck tumour. Uh, then it's it's fine, it's benign, um, uh, but I had to go and get it that day just so they could check it out. It's been uh, stopping my breathing a bit, so we just thought that was something that probably should get investigated. It's just one of those things when you only talk for a living that breathing is kind of important to what you do. So I thought I might as well get it checked out. We touch on that a little bit in the podcast. As is our want, we just start talking at the start of this one uh, before I really start the podcast but it's such interesting stuff that I just thought we'd let it roll and leave it all in. Uh, Hamish really probably more than any other guest on this podcast needs no introduction. He is one half of the uh, you know uh, most iconic radio duo uh, of uh, in Australia in the last 10-15 years. Uh, he is a brilliant brilliant comic talent in his own right. One of the most naturally funny people on the entire planet. Uh, just one of those people who brings funny to the table in all situations. He's incredibly charming. He's incredibly nice. Uh, he and Andy, as a radio partnership, but also as people, um, have an amazingly uh, grounded and positive view of what can be a very competitive and tough business. I remember uh, running into them early on one time, and we'd been making some jokes about Hamish and Andy on The Glass House, a show that we did a long time ago, and I remember running into them and being overwhelmed by how nice they were about the idea that we were making a few jokes at their expense and they said well you know if we got mad at you then that would mean that hot dogs from big brother would get mad at us and 
I, I love the way that they understood the broader picture of the industry. Um, I've been nothing but pleased for their success. And now at a time in their life where they're still doing Hamish and Andy things, they're also going off in their own directions to do separate things. So we start talking about Hamish and Andy, but really this podcast was to catch up with Hamish himself, Hamish by himself. And a guy that I've known for a fair while, but never had to, uh, never had an opportunity to have one of these chats with, which is basically the purpose of this entire podcast. So uh, I think you're going to like this one. I'm not going to talk uh, for much longer because, you know what, you just want to get into it and have a listen to uh, the fabulous Hamish Blake. So here you go. Hope you enjoy it. We'll just, because yeah, you, you never this, know. This can just check the levels. Yeah, exactly. But me and Andy went all the way over to Calm one year to... We we got to somehow there was a junket. I think it was a village road show thing, and of course, like no one else could go because, like, yeah, you could speak to Robert Downey Jr., but like, why are you going to move your whole show for five days to France to talk to Robert Downey Jr.? Like, there was just, but we had a Saturday morning show, so we're like, yeah, we'll go to we'll go to Cannes and do one interview, talk to Robert Downey Jr., and we had those mini discs. That, they were like massive Morants. Remember those? Like, they, yep. we had like a satchel. It was like the nuclear codes. Like you, the, the the president has like a massive satchel. They took. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say at least 12, maybe 16 AA batteries. Like they had those canisters you pulled out and for a mini disc. Right. Chatted to it. And you had to jam paper in the end of the battery cartridge. It was like ammo. Like you had to like jam all the batteries and put paper in and the paper came out, which meant the battery disconnected and it, we just lost the Robert Downey Jr. interview. Because the paper came out. Because the bit of paper came out. The bit of paper that was holding the whole operation like, together you know, came out. high quality paper that was denser. <laughs> More grams per, per inch or whatever it is. And so then we had to like... We just can't get paper in France. That's the problem. <laughs> so we're like, like, and we only, we only had four and a half minutes with Robert Downey Jr. too. They had a shot clock on. And so by the time we like made small talk with him going, oh, great, look, we're going well with Robert Downey Jr. We looked at the shot clock and it was like two minutes 57, two minutes 56. So we just had to say to people like, we lost our interview. We're so sorry. And luckily they had TV cameras set up in there and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, we... We rolled on it for you with our TV camera. You can have this giant beta cam tape, which we had no idea what to do with, but we were able to like salvage it. Uh, That's why Radio Mike's here. (laughs) So for some reason, uh, I did an interview by myself. I think Adam might have been away. So when we were at Triple J and uh, it was with a very uh, popular Hollywood uh, celebrity of the time who I won't name because I know where this story is going. Are they still popular? Like they they still got the... She had a very very big franchise. She was... uh, Anyway, it was Renee Zellweger, guys. (laughs) uh, I won't name her, but let's do four minutes of clues. Yeah, exactly. You would all guess who it is. Plus, we actually played the tape on air. So you could... Go back and find out who it was. I don't know why I thought I was keeping a secret. <laughs> but anyway, at the end of the interview, um, I said, uh, you know, my, my on-air partner, um, uh, Adam, isn't here today. So, you know, can you say something to make him jealous? And she goes, oh, I'll, I'll do better than that. And she gets up and she like kisses me, like kisses me. We're alone in a hotel room together and I'm recording an interview with her and she kisses me. I mean, to be honest, this is a reverse Me Too situation yeah, now that I say it out loud. Is, but there's no, you're not really complaining about this one. This is not like when Russell Brand does this to interviewers, everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, Come when on. we played it on air, it wasn't me giving the evidence <laughs> for, the, for the class action I was going to put together against Bridget Jones. True. There's not many other people going, going, going oh my God, Catherine Zeta-Jones did that to me. This, is, this has got to stop. But it had recorded so badly because I had, had to do it all myself and I'm terrible at it. And your hands were shaking after the kiss. Well, the thing was, the the kiss, again, it's a kiss. 
So it wasn't like I took the microphone up to record the kiss. So A, it's been recorded badly, and B, it's like way off mic, this kiss. No one believes you. But it was, no, it was so important that we were just like, whatever you can do, get everyone involved in Triple J into this studio, see if they can ramp up the sound. In hands, in hands. Yeah. <laughs> I need to hear some sort of lip suction somewhere on my lips. Call ASIO. You know those people in crime TV shows where they get the audio and they're able to isolate it and hear a background character? We yeah. need those guys. You need like that shitty ghost hunting show on Foxtel yeah. where they go in with those <laughs> super high density mics and they're like, and if we slow it down, we can just hear, bah, which yeah. is a ghost's footsteps leaving the room. By the way, guys, please turn off that blue light. That's completely unnecessary <laughs> to bring in here. Hello and welcome to Willosophy. My name is Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, joining me is a man who you may have already guessed who it was from the fact that he kept referring to this guy called Andy. But I ask every question of uh, our guests anyway. What is you? Who are you? I'm Hamish Blake. Uh, name and rank. Hamish. Um... Uh, assistant to Mr. Andy Lee. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It is. Well, it's nice to have you here by yourself because you guys are in a, a part of your world and career and, you know, life at the moment where totally. you, you're still working together, but you've stopped, you know, working together on the radio. You've got a, a podcast on uh, Podcast One that people can listen to, but uh, there is an element of you both going off and doing your own things. And I'm interested in that as like, when you have had a, such a, you know, a, a partnership that has been so intrinsic to your career, but also intrinsic in the public's mind sure. to your identities, True. what is it like when you're going out there doing stuff by yourself? I think we're probably at a stage now where we're both, um, you know, and for a bit of background, yeah, we're coming out of t- probably, I would say, like a solid 12 years of Hamish and Andy being either a radio show or a TV show. Probably coming, the, the exciting part is like we don't have to be Hamish and Andy now. Not that we had to be it, but like we were always involved in things where it would be dumb to have a huge fight and go, I hate you. Like in the middle right. of gap year, it would be weird to be like, you know what? I think I want to make greeting cards <laughs> and just leave Andy in the jungle. <laughs> so there's always that thing in the back of my mind where it was like, right, we're doing this. We are Hamish and Andy. We're, you know, we don't not like being Hamish and Andy, but there's no chance that there's no reason to think about it. So now we're probably at a stage where it's like, well, we. You know, the radio show has come to an end. We've got no real solid plan of what comes next. So it's like, in a way, at the at a minimum, it's a good chance to go, all right, well, let's just double check that we want to still do this because there's a, because of what it became, like it, like Hamish has become, or it became this thing was like, it's, it's like almost like it became very easily, well, not successful, but like it was easy for people to tap into it. Like it's so easy for people to go like, that's just you guys. You guys are the, you're Hamish and Andy, you're the best friend. Like, it's a very easy handle for people. And it's so easy. So it's like, all right, well, that's kind of like a really tempting thing to have out there all the time. But let's make sure we want to do it rather than just do it because, like, it's so much easier to just be Hamish and Andy than to try something else, whether it's together or as an individual. So I'm sure there's stuff that Ando wants to do. And I think we've always been a pretty good place as mates to go, well, we know we've got this thing that works. We love doing it, but let's. I think it's a. This is a great spot to be in now, and I, we've had this moment a few times in our careers where it's like we don't have to be Hamish and Andy. So if we do keep doing stuff as Hamish and Andy, it's great because we know in our hearts it means we want to do it, rather than if we just signed a ten-year deal to you know host right. a talent show as Hamish and Andy, we'd have to be Hamish and Andy. So contractually obliged to be Hamish and Andy. It's so much nicer yeah. to just choose to be by Hamish choice. and Andy. We are Hamish and Andy by choice. We are <laughs> Hamish and or Andy, yeah. depending on the situation. Hamish and dot, 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 I guess, Andy. Andy? <laughs> Possibly Andy as well. And he's in there going, I guess it's mum with Hamish. So it's really fun. Like I, I love this stage. I'm not in a rush to do 
the next thing because I like this kind of moment of calm because I feel like it'll mean that the next thing, whatever the next thing that happens either personally or with Ando is just 100% by choice, which is good. It's refreshing because we work in a commercial world. It would be so easy to lose sight of the fact that it should be a choice. Do you know what I mean? Like you got like, I'm personally, my, my, the thing I keep coming back to is like, you don't have to do any of this. No one has to do any of this. Like even if something's successful, like if a show's going well, you don't have to do it. So just make sure you want to do it. <laughs> like, you know. I, I'm always surprised that from a public point of view, how often they, particularly I'm back in the breakfast radio world and I'm always like stunned at the level of interest that people have as if you're doing it against your will. Yes. You know, their big questions always like, oh, how do you get up in the morning? It's like, oh, well, I chose to do it. Yes, I, and I, was I looked at the, the options. Under, I was of the understanding that... No one says that to like people that have real jobs either. Right. Like construction workers like, oh man, how do you man. do it? Seven o'clock how start you, yeah. on a work site. Right. You, you just get, you go because you chose to do it. Well, everyone mentions the 5.30 start, but no one mentions the 9.30 finish. <laughs> no one mentions the fact that it's 10 a.m. and we're doing this and yeah. I'm at home. Well, now we've had the reverse where we're like, you know what? I think we'll just stop for a while. And everyone's like, I don't understand. Because there's only two ways to finish in media. Right. You either get fired and then that's a great headline or you explosively quit. No one can just say, I did something for a while and now I'm going to stop doing this thing and I'm going to see what else I want to do. Like Jessica Rowe yeah. the other day. She's just like, hey, you know what? I've worked here for a while. I think I'm going to stop yeah. and I'm going to spend some time with my kids. And everyone's like, she's, in, she's dropped a bombshell on air. <laughs> like, you're allowed to stop doing things. The people, I don't think like the, the world of, you know, the world of headlines doesn't like someone just going, we did something for a while. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. We're going to do something else. <laughs> like, no, 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 don't buy it. What was it? A falling out? Do you come on? Fuckers, what is it? Like, you, something's happening. You tell us what the plan is. Well, you two are meant to hate each other for 10 years and then have exactly. a reunion. Like, you know? Where's the blow-up? You can't just be friends and decide to pursue interests. It, you, it, there's got to be a confidence in it as well, though, because I think that for both of you, there's got to be a confidence in it because I think that often the reason perhaps that those relationships become a thing that permanently has to happen is one or the other people thinks that they can't survive by themselves whereas yeah. i think you both are at a stage of your careers and lives where you're happy to go no no no, no. like totally. I, I wish the other person you know, great success in whatever it is that they pursue it doesn't threaten the idea that you know we have this other thing 100 percent. and i mean the whole reason and i do doesn't stuff matter different. how good the black panther spin-off movie is he'll still be there for the event very very happy for you. Very, very, <laughs> very, very, very happy well done congratulations on your oscar <laughs> I mean, Key and Pill's probably pretty good. Key and Pill would be a great example because, like, oh, you know, well done. Uh, you've you've got an Oscar nomination, but yeah. we're still buddies. Yeah. yeah. Remember our sketches we did? Yeah. Remember how I was a barman? That was yeah, pretty funny yeah, too, yeah, as well. I right? was there for the start. I yeah. was there for the start. Remember that time you said something really funny on set and I said, get out. And you got the inspiration for your Oscar? Yeah, that was me. That, that was, was me. me. So, yeah, I mean, like, going back to the start, like, I. And I've often thought of this. I'm like, how did we just become like what? We were never like, you know, hi, I'm Hamish, hi, I'm Andy. Like, let's be a duo. It's and growing up, I was never like, God, I can't, you know, love to be in a duo when I grow up. So it wasn't. It. I've the thoughts occurred to me many times. I reckon it just naturally. The the reason it probably naturally evolved is probably a, a mix of of getting confidence from each other and a bit of a. Well, this this seems to be the like this 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 avenue kind of keeps opening up rapidly with opportunities where we just seem to be able to complement each other well to do the tasks that are ahead of us. So 
I think it came a lot from the fact, and from early days, we've just realised that there's something within the dynamic where it, it, we've just, you know, it sounds cheesy, but you just got that thing that complements each other. Like if we were well, both, I'm, just, if I'm, we were in, bo- I'm fascinated though by the complementary nature of the relationship because I think that speaks to something very much, which is that idea of finding someone else who, you know, A, brings some stuff to the table that you can't bring to the table, but B, that stuff doesn't get in your way. That stuff, yeah, it lifts you up. Yeah, and you begin to realise as the years go on just what those superpowers are that the other person has. And so you think, you think, and I've made this mistake too, you think like if there's someone that's really similar to you, you're like, oh man, it will be so much fun to just hang out with them. And it is fun to hang out, but you it doesn't really work if you're doing a show together. As you'd know, like you're not doing a show with Eddie Maguire because you guys are two peas in a pod. Oh no, that's why. We have, <laughs> that was why. And I thought it was weird that he's your housemate. What downstairs. I'd really like to do is talk about the history of Collingwood every single day. So you realise like, oh, you actually do need to kind of work with someone that's a little bit different. Different friend on I because, you know, we are mates, we are similar, but we're not. You know, there's there's other people that are probably that I've like you know that you hang out with or whatever. Where you're like, all right, you're in a weird way, like whatever it is I do, you do what I do as well, and that's not that doesn't make for a good relationship. And so I've got we've found some someone in each other. Like I found Andy, he found me. We're like, all right, well, we do something that's pretty similar, but it really complements. You know, where I'm going with my head is a place you're really happy to go, but we're not going to do the same things when we get there. And conversely, like where he's going with his head is a place I'm really happy to go, but I'm not going to do the same things when we arrive at that situation either. So we, it's obvious, like our Venn diagrams don't completely overlap. So we, you know, you end up getting a lot, if you want to talk about the, I suppose, the surface area of two circles, you end up getting a lot. Which larger, is exactly what I did want to talk comedy. about. So thank uh, God you comedy. brought it up. It's, 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 a, it's a combination of the surface area of two circles that don't completely overlap. So it's, so with Ando, like from, you know, it took us a long time to kind of like nail down what it is we did. And we've never really had, it's not like we have a discussion to be like, hey, 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 remember that's a Hamish job or that's an Andy job. That's why I suppose it takes 12 years because it's compl- it's intuitive and it's hard to describe, but there's there's always going to be a thing between Ando and I where like, we know what we do, even if it's hard to describe to other people. And you'd intrinsically know how to play a situation. One of the things I'm interested in that regard, because I, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot and probably having to explain to people a lot recently, so that's why it's top of my mind, but is the idea that I think that I prefer work relationships where I'm not friendly with the person. I've had my share of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find in a work sense, going into an office with a bunch of people that you work with, I find that an easier way to deliver feedback about what it is that I need or things that are, you know, maybe not working in the show, you know, because you're in a professional environment, you're not going to have to be friends with those people later and worry about like, you know, how it affects your friendship. So I'm interested because you and Andy are friends, like what was it like delivering, what was that process of like delivering feedback to each other, re, you know, the show and what each of you were feeling about the show? There's definitely concessions you end up making with your friendship because at some point along the track, we realized again, without it really being conscious but it's probably about this the time where it becomes your actual job we're like all right well we've commercialized our friendship like we've weaponized it somehow (laughs) and now what we now it's it's not as trivial like we can't just be you know when you're buddies with someone it's like a friendship is a thing that you're working on every day and like sometimes you're falling out of contact with people you you know you might not chat to a friend for six months then you might go on holidays together we're like, well, we can't really have that flippancy anymore with our relationship because now it's like this is somehow our livelihood, our relationship. So 
in the same way that yeah, like even if you're if you're a comedian or a writer, the super successful ones are the ones that get up in the morning like at nine o'clock. I'm working. Like even if I'm working from home, you know, I'm I'm at work and I'm writing and I and and there's that discipline to it. So I suppose it's that you 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 end up introducing an element of discipline into your friendship because like anyone that's working, you like you have to have an element of discipline. So you introduce that element of di- like we introduce that element of discipline in our relationship, which is like every day we're turning up and we're here to make the show, and naturally, like that outside of work, you probably see each other less socially. You know, we still drive into work together and hang out, but you're talking about you've got this thing that you know you do, especially in our twenties too. Like the show was our lives, like we lived Hamish and Andy, and we just gave our lives over to it. So we probably had. 16 contact hours with each other a day yet then outside when it was time to decompress you we would probably seek out other relationships and other mates because we're like well uh, uh, like we're just gonna we knew we we knew that like for our job we needed that variety too we needed to be able to come to the table and be different people and not just live together but yeah it's very hard to feel the mic break with what did you get up to last night you know you, you were there were, you were there oh, i was at dinner with this yeah. guy who was you it was you um, <laughs> And he was really annoying. <laughs> Listen to what this fucking anyway, guy said at dinner. Is this a bad way to bring this up? But... Pretend it wasn't you for a second. Yeah. I hated this guy's opinions. <laughs> Just the way he chews really annoys me. Oh, you got it. I'm going to take a recorder next anyway. time. We're going to dinner with this guy. So he, yeah. So you, I know. So back to your point about going like after trying all the different iterations of working relationships, and it, it, it is there is a real there's a real sense to going. I'm at work. This is what we do. We make funny stuff, but at the end of the day, we do it for a you know we do it for an audience, and we like, we're the show, and we got people whose jobs rely on this. So let's be professional about it. So we had to introduce that element, and and and, but I think like luckily, just trying to think about it now because I've never really delved too deep into this stuff, but probably it comes down to this to the sense that we both have an idea of what's the right way to behave with people and in a team, and we were able to make that leap to go when we're at work. These are the set of like. This is how we believe you should behave in in a team framework. And I think we probably got both got like Ando's probably Ando's a good leader. He's a good manager, and I'm happy being a soldier to some extent. Like I'm just much rather have a clear set of things to do and I can do them. And I don't really I don't need to be running meetings and stuff. I'm actually much rather be doodling on my pad because that's and then having an idea somewhere because I'm checked out of the meeting. But luckily, we just managed to fall into a framework that, that had the right level of respect and I think the same attitude towards being in a team. I would say it comes down to that. I'm interested in, um, and again, this is not 60 Minutes, so if we get into any area that you don't want to talk about, we don't have to talk about it. You know. Uh, but um, Shout out to Mamma Mia or Daily Mail who's combing the podcast for juicy, for juicy grabs. Exactly. Do you have a bonk fan in the workplace? <laughs> um, no, I mean, the interesting thing is to me, is to the nature of having you know a wife and a family. Yep. Uh, for most people, their partner is, you know, identifiable to everybody as being the the, the Andy to their Hamish, if you know what yeah, I'm yeah, saying, right. right? Like in real life, normally your partner is that person, the person that you talk to the most, that you talk about your most intimate things, that you share all your stories about your life. If something funny happens at dinner or some someone was annoying you, you talk to it with your partner. But when you're in a partnership, a professional partnership like that, where you're doing those same things, true, was... I, how does it affect the rest of your life? Like, yep, you know, because yep. you're not getting up in the morning and having a three-hour conversation about everything with... With, you know, Zoe, with my wife. With your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you don't. You don't have that level of... Well, or do you? I, I, mean, I, well, I can't. I mean, I, I mean, this is, this is 
this this is a weird tautology, but Zoe is my Andy. <laughs> like Zoe's, I think Zoe's what the There's public... There's your headline. I think <laughs> Zoe's my Andy. I think Zoe's what the public thinks and my Andy, yes. you know, the Andy is. Like, for what the public see Hamish and Andy being, yeah. Zoe's my real life, you know, she's, you know, I have more content with Zoe than I do with Ando. Yeah. So she is that confidant, but then I've got Ando for the whole other side of our lives, which is the whatever we're making in the and the and the work world. But yeah, I do... So in in that in that respect, I, you know, I, I not only say that because it's like I don't think I don't think I'm like getting home and then Zoe's going, how come we're not talking? And I go, oh, I've done all my talking today. Right. I've, I've I've had I've had FaceTime with my confidant. I don't really need you. But- well, I mean, I think there can be an element of that though. If you are like constantly having to produce content and you've had to like go through this you know moment or this thing, that idea of going home and then having to. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if somebody's been bricklaying all day, they don't want to come home and have to knock up the barbecue at seven o'clock at night. You know, <laughs> yeah, there true. can be. But I suppose the great thing about what I've got with Zoe is, and this this is not the headline because it surprises no one. She's not really like Andy, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I can just shock you, okay. Well, there I, you go. I we got married, it. Finally. I haven't married a female Andy. Uh, she's a very different it's Andy in a di- wig. Different world. So, <laughs> it's like the Bugs Bunny Honey, version of Andy. Bit, talk a bit more about Carlton, would yeah. you? <laughs> so there's, you know, I, I mean, I do have a massively separate life to Ando, which yeah, he's, you know, and he's got a massively separate life to me with his family and his friends, and especially having a wife and kids. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's that. There is that. It's the the age old adage, but there's just that massive divide between once you sort of have kids and you get sucked into that world. It was was having kids something that you always thought that you would yeah. do. Oh yeah, man, yeah. I love being a dad, and I I was I was very keen to be a dad from yeah. I never never in my I didn't have that moment where I was like, well, I was had a wild twenties and I never thought I'd have kids. It just yeah, it just it was it was an inevitability for me. And I love it; it's the best. Yeah, what is it that you love about it? Well, I'm, and this might this might I mean we this could be the slow run up into the uh, what's your philosophy. Um, it's or ever the professional is like we should get this philosophy thing at some stage. Guys, I just feel like just people we're losing people with all this anti chat. They've tuned in for philosophy. Um, like quite simply, I mean, I'm just trying to think of a way to put this, which doesn't sound like it's been said by by every, you know everyone else. But it can, you know, it's just for the first time properly in my life, especially coming out of a, a period in my twenties and the early thirties where I'm like. Our lives are about the show, which is a little bit narcissistic. It's, you know, it was great fun to dedicate our lives to those adventures. But then something comes along that's truly not about you. And it's tr- like, and I mean this in, not, this is not, this is going to sound a bit macabre, but uh, I've, I had this experience, but as soon as Sonny was born and I was holding him, this is, so I've got a, he's almost four, Sonny, and then a little girl, Rudy. It really hit me, and I, maybe this happens to everyone, but maybe not. But it really, like in that, in the, like in the first few minutes of his life, I was holding him, and I just suddenly went, "Oh my god, I'm going to die!" Right? Like it just hit me. I was like, "Oh, I, I'm, I will die. I will die." Like I had a real sense of, but now it's your turn. Like now, this is now you're. I'm, I'm holding one of the newest human beings on the planet, and they're the next generation. And I know Zoe had been pregnant for nine months. I'd very much noticed it at home that she was. Not she, her body was changing, so it's like I knew we were having this baby, but I hadn't that thought hadn't occurred to me that like now you're a dad, and then like you're now not the newest generation, like that's it. You, I was like, 
But I found I was quite, I was really at peace with that. I was like, oh, great. Now all I've kind of got to do is make sure that I give this little thing that I already am in love with the right tools to hopefully, you know, fix climate change and all the other issues we're leaving them but yeah. i mean it's a lot to you know put in the hands of one kid but you're yeah. really and i was trying to up. write this all on his yeah. card uh yeah. <laughs> because like anyway but, but mostly i just want to say welcome and how are yeah. you hi welcome uh i'm, I'm your dad uh, I'm... i just realized that i'm not immortal i'm and, an existential uh, cross <laughs> neither is the planet uh, my mortality about climate change is crashing down on me and <laughs> so is the fact that even the planet is finite anyway We'll get to that after you've gone through your Peppa Pig and Wiggle stage. <laughs> but I, but this is a roundabout way of answering the question, like, why do I love being a dad? Because it's, I love, uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, you spend a lot of time pouring a lot of work into yourself and into the show and stuff. And it's just, you know, if, if after that experience of doing that in our, in our, especially in our industry, like to now pour energy into a little person, it, feels, it just feels very worthwhile to me. And, I, and it will only matter to them, I hope, if, if it does at all. But to spend a day for me on the mat or like this morning just playing bongos with my little girl, it just seems super worthwhile. My, so I'm a little bit obsessed with the, I think different people, I've always had this belief, but now I've read a bit more, I, I come across it in other people's um, worlds, where it's like called the 75-year-old test or whatever. But I'm a bit obsessed with the belief of going, if I was 80 and I could jump back to this moment, what would I give? You know, like how much would you give to just be, even if you think like, you know, oh, I'm a bit sick or I'm tired, you know, I'm 36 and my kids are babies. Like, I know uh, you give everything. Like, I just know you'd give all the money in the world to be back here for 10 minutes because, you know, we'll never get this chance to live this moment again. And I'm obsessed with that thought all the time with my kids. And it makes every moment super valuable. Like, you know, you only have... There's that old adage of going, you don't have much, as much time as you think and you're not, you're not actually spending the time the way you think you're spending it. Like, you probably think you're spending heaps of time with your friends and family, but you're probably spending a lot of time on Instagram and just watching shit at night on TV. And if you could tell your 80-year-old self, oh, yeah, you know, here's this, here's this thing that's now worth to you like $10 million for, for, for 10 minutes back when you were 36. And, and at the time when you were 36, you spent that thing just flicking through a Rebel Sports catalogue board um, flicking bits of wheat bix off the kitchen counter, you'd be like, "Well, I feel like I squandered that a little bit." <laughs> so for me, it's about it's about memory making. Like that, I, I really believe my core life philosophy is about trying to create the best the best memories and the best inputs for for the people around me and for for my kids now. Okay, well, that speaks to your philosophy. Is that your philosophy? Is that what you're saying? I is, reckon that you, if, yeah. if I had to drill down on it, like, what do I really care about? spending my time on in life, it would be trying to create, trying to make sure it's not squandered, trying to make sure I'm not that, trying to make sure I'm not just flipping through life, waiting for something else to happen and that you can, that you can be, that you can be present with the people you like. Cause I kind of think that at the end of the day, that's like, what else really matters? Like you want to really be sure you're spending your time on the right stuff. It's interesting because this resonates with me about you because so much of even the entertainment that you have make, made has been about experiences. True, not, true, yeah. you know, it's not been necessarily about 
you know, a lot of radio, including the radio show I do, is mostly, to be honest, about, you know, commenting on other people's experience. You're talking, you know, about to a footballer about what they're doing, whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of your entertainment over the journey has been about actually creating your own experiences and then, you know, making the entertainment out of that. So yep, it is actually a very different approach in a lot of ways like you know the amount of people who i'm sure over the years have because of the success of you guys been told that they need to do some sort of hamish and andy style thing but it's not intrinsic to them it was intrinsic to you that we would always get that feedback sort of flying back to us going oh man you know we have to go and i don't know you like ride a tandem bike around the cbd for five hours because we were told that would get attention we're like well if you don't want to do it it will get the wrong attention (laughs) like we're not doing it because we're like man i hate this i just want to talk i really 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 just want to talk about chess but we have to go and ride the tandem bike like it just that that kind of yeah that kind of shits and giggles bubbled to the forefront of what Andy and I thought was funny just I don't, I don't know where it came from but we both that just both kind of that floats our boat we were like let's do weird things I think we both really get off on inventing a weird world and then like creating rules for it right. <laughs> so that you can't disobey we're like you know like but is there a bigger um sort of philosophical you know thing about that which is this idea that we're living in a world yeah. that is only defined by the stupid rules we put in place anyway. Like, I mean, all of human existence is us trying to work out, like none of us know what the rules are. Totally. So instead what we do is we, we make the up these firm rules about these things where we go, well, someone just made up this rule at some stage. And I'm sure we live thousands of them all the time that we don't even really think about. Like, I mean, I actually think you just coming along here today, like why do we pick 60Ks an hour as the speed limit? Like that has always struck me as a bit, like I know it's I guess it works like people still die at 60 but it, like along the way we've gone oh but it, you know not too many so right but like we're all I guess we're all fine with that as I guess the speed limit margin of error yeah. <laughs> but, but, but like but we were all just like well that's the rules that's 60 because yeah. I'm like oh you can drink some alcohol yeah drive. we pick this number yeah two or three drinks but people depending st- on who you are people still die have yeah, a crack yeah, but, yeah, you know but people are dying all the time it's though. an acceptable <laughs> let's, 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 not get, let's not get too worried about it so death came up and your response to it was interesting to me because that I think death defines a lot of what you know the rest of how you decide to live your life is defined by how you your attitude to death and yep. a lot of the time you hear about p- people having kids and realizing their own mortality but it comes with a heaviness and a darkness to it which is that I now have a reason like I think for me I'll put it from my perspective rather yep, than yep. trying to put it in other people's worlds I can die whenever and and life will go no, on mate, don't brag uh... yeah but you know like <laughs> I can, yeah, ju- I can juggle. Imagine that. <laughs> I was like, that's my power play. You know what? I was like, well, you know, you can- it's death, man. Yeah. He can die whenever. <laughs> Mate, you've got two kids and a wife. They'll give a shit if you die. I could die now. No one would care. Michael had finished the fucking interview with you. Yeah, It'd I mean, be his moment. Be, this way comes around every time. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be a brief 30 seconds of organ music that the listeners would hear while we cleaned up the body. But yeah, then we'd just finish the interview. <laughs> Welcome to Mike Ossipi. I'll be right uh, back after this. We've had another host die. <laughs> but I know what you mean. You're uh, in the sense that you could die and there would be less. I mean, people would still less care. Less impact still on friends the world. and family. Yeah, but they'd be fine. They've got other friends and other family. I've been making this claim for years, so they're ready yeah. for it. I'm not the last kid. Like, you know what I mean? Like, my brother and sister are both younger and healthier. Well, if I can speak on your parents' perspective, I'm sure they would still notice. <laughs> they'd notice, but... You're not the complete grey man. <laughs> like, yeah. People, the world, Australia would notice. But, but I, I also know. don't ring them often enough that they'd be like, well, that's Sunday night freed up for maths. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> so you're 
I suppose what you're saying is like the, the weird thing about the parent thing is, you know what I reckon terrifies parents, especially when your kids are young and, and Sonny's four, Rudy's eight months. Well, Sonny's just about to be four. No, I'm not sure when the podcast comes out. This could be on his birthday. Happy birthday, mate. Um, but what <laughs> is he a listener? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad, where's my present? Oh, no, I did yeah, a no. shout out on Will's podcast for you. <laughs> Happy fourth birthday. Um, so, do you know what I reckon it is? There, I'm ter- I am terrified of it. There's definitely fear involved. And there's a few different fears. I'm just scared. I'm scared because my biggest fear is that they would not understand how much I love them. Right. Right. And uh, and and that would real. That's that's you know I you know it's really simple, but I just think ninety percent of a kid's diet has to be love. Like I just can't see a better way to spend my day than doing other actions or words with my kids. They're just like, hey, your dad loves you. I just think you're terrific. I want to hang out with you. I want to play Play-Doh with you. I want to hear what you think. I want to talk to you about your dad. I don't want to interrupt you. I want to give you space to talk and wander. And, I'll, you know, we went looking for a cat on the weekend for three hours. Cat Stevens, who was lost in the neighbor, like we saw posters up. And I was like, look, I know we're not going to find Cat Stevens, but like, <laughs> let's go on for an adventure. Let's have fun because I want you to remember. I want your... Pers- Unfortunately, Cat Stevens had changed his name to uh, <laughs> Yusuf, yeah, Yusuf Islam <laughs> Cat. <laughs> But well, I like I want you. I want your memories of your childhood to be like your dad cares and yep. he's here and he loves you. And but you know they're kids and they can't fathom that yet. And I reckon that's why parents are like, shit, don't die, don't die. You have to get to a stage where right. the kids are like, you can have an adult conversation with them and be like, hey, I literally only care about you, you, you doing, you being okay in life. So there's probably that little fear too. But once maybe that come, maybe that goes like once your kids hit an age where they'll be like, all right, dad, stop. I get it. You don't have to do this to me every night. You don't have to. Tell, I understand you love me, and then maybe the fear subsides a little bit because you got a chance to to get it across to them. So in that regard, that's probably where the fear of parents comes from, where they're like, "I don't want to die with you know, I don't want the kids to." Do you have me. an earliest memory that you can identify? Do you I know? Can I remember being at my kinder, which I was at, which I was at like when I was three or four? But I, but yeah, all the time I'm doing shit with Sunny. I'm taking him to Trampoline World and he's two and a half. I'm like, you won't remember this. This is bullshit. Don't <laughs> spend 40 bucks to get us in here. There's no way you remember this. I can't remember this stuff. And I'm spending every day with you. This is outrageous. But you have to believe right. somewhere it's laying the foundation for... Po- just like you literally... you Yeah. As a dad, I reckon you just add a drip to that barrel... And it takes you years to fill up the barrel because every day you just get to put one drip in. And at the end of the, when the barrel's full, the kid goes, yeah, I, think I'm, I vaguely remember having fun with you. That's all you get. But it's better than the opposite. It's amazing how much your parents inform you in ways that you don't understand. That's like, or that you only understand as an adult. You go, oh, that's where I get that from. Or when you meet other people who, like the thing is when you're a kid, you know, it's your entire experience. So it's not until you go out in the world and you hear about other people's same experience that you go, oh, okay, maybe I picked up a few more things. Yeah, that I, unfortunately, I think, dad, I think dad has given me a heavily cynical streak where I can't watch a sporting team lose without thinking they're betting on themselves, which no. is my dad's. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not true, but I can't. It's the first thought that comes into my head because I've been conditioned by my dad. So yeah, I, and and that's that kind of comes back to a little bit of like my you know drilling down on like going, all right, what do I stand for? What do I actually care about day to day? I always try and force myself to make the tough in quotation marks decision of going like, all right, we could just sit on the, I could you could watch TV and sure the kids watch you know Sunny watches TV, or but if I've got or if I'm like but if I but if I could just push myself a little harder here to think of something to be creative to do something fun, 
it's worth it. He's not going to remember it, but I just for it just seems worthwhile. It's, it's, it's what I want to do. Like you can be exhausted or whatever. Be like you know what? Let's go looking for Cat Stevens. We'll take a bag of cat biscuits. We'll make an adventure out of it because I'm tired. <laughs> and I would and maybe it would be more fun if you just watched Cars Three and I had a sleep and I tucked my finger in your tracksuit pants. So if you got off the couch, I could feel you, which is my <laughs> other which is my other trick I do. <laughs> But you know what? Let's go and try and find Cat Stevens because I just think it's worth the effort. I think, and, and I just firmly believe, like, to create for those, for my kids, and I just know, you know, like, everyone knows tomorrow's not guaranteed. It probably is, but it's not guaranteed to anyone. So I'm, that's, that's what comes down, down to the 80-year-old test to go, I, I, I'm probably scared of being regretful that I've wasted moments. That's, that's the other fear too. Like, you're scared that you're going to get to 80 and be like, Man, I remember just being at work all the time. Or I remember just being on my phone all the time. Like, what was I doing? I had babe, I had infant children that I could have been enjoying, and so that's that's a that's a big part of kind of what what plays in my head throughout the day. Uh, what was your experience? I, I don't know much about you growing up. What do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, older brother, like- younger sister. Like very middle of the road, middle class. Upbringing, like, yeah. yeah, no middle trauma, road, middle no class, tra- middle child, very, very, like, very, right in the fiftieth percentile for every experience. <laughs> really came through at the last great <laughs> gasp of the white man in society. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted got a bike for the Christmas, line. didn't get the best one, but got one. <laughs> got yeah, a bike, you know. Wanted Air Jordans, didn't get them. Eventually, did later. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All my so basically my memories of childhood are brands and consumerism. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. So not like absolutely nothing to nothing to 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 gripe about in that regard. Except like it was a really suburban. I had a pretty suburban upbringing, and I think that benefited me in a lot of ways because that's kind of like that's the experience for a vast majority of people. But I I remember and like I was agitated to get on with life. Like I was I was agitated to 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 seek a bit of adventure. Uh, but I was also you know re- being really honest, looking back. I was, you know, I was paralyzed by, I just didn't know what to do about that. Like, it wasn't like a gregarious kid, like doing cool stuff, like going, all right, well, I figured out a way to travel by myself. I was just kind of paralyzed by fear a bit, especially in my teenage years. So I just, I remember being just like a bit static and going, I want something different, but I don't know what it is. What was the, where do you think the paralysis came from? Because I imagine that's something that many people go through for, you know, in a whole range of ways, you totally. know, like, but where did, where did that fear come from or whatever it was for you? Do you think? I think it was just, just good old fashioned fear. Like of going, I don't want to, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to step out. I don't know. I, I hadn't figured out yet that life was literally about just, if you see if if there's a prize on the shelf, it's gonna go to the person that stands up and takes it. Like I hadn't figured out that, hadn't yet figured out that if you like you know if you want to be a comedian, then you just have to get up on stage. Like no one is stopping you really. I mean, it's it, it of all jobs. Like you can't say that. <laughs> you can't say that a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. There's plenty of people stopping you. You can't just walk into a hospital and go. I can think of a dozen regulatory boards yeah, that are stopping you. Stopping you. Plus, Security guards plus at a the, war, plus and a legal the other system. doctors, the nurses. 
Plus a patient shrieking, yep. get him out of here, get him out of here. That kid's 15. I imagine there's a series of safeguards <laughs> or we'd hear about it more often, I imagine, yeah. amateur surgery. <laughs> but yeah, like flying a plane, there's things like that. But you're right, comedy in particular it's is like one of those ones where yeah. I often say to young people, if they're asking for advice, I say, not only is it the easiest entry level because they let you do the exact same thing on the first day as the people who've been doing it for 30 years, you know, yeah. like they don't let you use the photocopier on the first day at most jobs. And then the other thing is, no matter how bad you are at it, they don't stop you doing it. There's, there there's is never, no regulatory body. There's none. <laughs> you can't lose your comedy license in New South Wales. Right. And, you know, like, if you, you did, you could go and go across the border. Go to South Australia. Somewhere no one knows you. <laughs> this guy's practicing without a license. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but it, but I but I I kind of regret that. Like I yeah. look back and I look, I'm a bit you know I'm a bit a bit disappointed in teenage Hamish because he was just he was a bit of a puss, <laughs> to be honest. What would you say to your teenage kids? You know, when they find themselves in a version of that situation, I reckon it. I, I, I I'm a big believer, and I know that any message that comes from your parents is going to be lost. Right. So like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm a you know, I'm a I'm a big reader of the old the Steve Bidoff books and the you know Raising Boys and the Manhood and stuff like that, and a big part of his philosophy and and you know like an ex, a growing movement, especially with Raising Boys to not be delinquent, is I reckon the importance of having mentors and stuff throughout your teenage years. So you just you just get to a stage as a boy, like, and we all went through it. Where you're like, I'm not going to really listen to Dad on how to be a man, like, especially when you're 14, 15. But if you've got good male role models around, that's who you start mimicking. Or if you don't. It's your peer group, and that's kind of like the danger. So I'd try, my goal is when Sonny's that age, that there's good men around him that can be, that, that he's just going to be a lot more inclined to like listen to those messages from him. Or I'm also a big believer in just a rapid and or a massive geological, geographical and geological change. <laughs> Get away from that basalt. I want you more near more graphite. <laughs> a ge- geographical change. Like I got, I got yanked out of school when I was in year nine, and I was like, "This is the end of my world." But I was so unhappy. I knew I was unhappy at the high school I was at, and then I moved schools, and I was just like, "Oh, this, this is you know, I'll never recover from this." And then, like, and now, and first day in class, I sat next to a guy called Tim Barley, who is now one quarter of Radio Karate, which is our TV production company. There's a guy called Ryan Shelton who I played basketball with that lunchtime, who's still my best buddy, and we. We're still making TV together. And so the three of us then met Andy at uni and that became like the four people that run the TV side of our world. But like I always look back at it and go, I was screaming to not change schools. Like I was hysterically screaming. And I know I knew I was unhappy. Like I know I knew I just wasn't, it wasn't working. I was in the wrong peer group. It just wasn't working. But I was like, I would have done anything to stay in the unhappy situation because I was scared of the change. And then I moved schools and I always look back at it going, oh, what a fucking idiot. Like just so if I honestly think if I if I can see my kids just jammed at a dead end, like, guys, we're going to Chicago for you. I don't right. know. I've always wanted change to go. Something. Just yep. change it up. Like a massive change up because anyone's it's a good place, by the way, Chicago. I highly Great. recommend it. All right, that. really if interested. You're... All right, we'll keep it up the sleeve. Plus they shot a lot Sonny, of Sonny, I don't think you're happy at school. Dad, yeah. I'm so happy. I love school. No, he's no. not happy, he's unhappy. He doesn't have a good peer group. Joshua's yeah. my best friend. Now, watch this episode of The Dark Knight so I can show you all the places they film stuff. Yeah, and then 
in 36 years' time, he'll be sitting here on the couch yeah. going, and then my fucking dad took us to Chicago right when things were really clicking when I was 15. That's my plan for the podcast. I'm only getting people on with kids. This and is then a long I'm gonna, It's like that movie 7-Up. I'm the new Michael Apted, and I'm going to get the next generation. I'm going to ask everyone about how they planned a parent, yeah. and then I'm going to get the kids on 20 years later to ask how it turned out. Dad is so full of shit, he just spends yeah. all his time on his phone. We never looked yeah. for that cat. I remember when dad ran over a cat and then went home and faked up some missing posters to cover. Great news about Cat Stevens, though. I mean, if we just want to go back to it, they found him. Oh, they did. And I've never seen this before because there's stickers, there was like posters all over the neighborhood. And the closer we were near his street that he was lost on, the closer we'd get to the street, Sonny would be like, oh, we're getting closer, dad. He must be around here somewhere. I see more pictures of him. I think because I think in his head it was like a treasure hunt, like someone had hidden Cat Stevens yeah. and yeah. had left clues. And the more pictures we saw, like uh, we'd eventually like pull him out of a hedge and be like, "Got him!" But they went to all the posters in the neighborhood and they put like a found sticker over it, like a sold sticker on a for sale sign, rather than just take the posters down. So now everyone in the neighborhood's like, "Oh, they found Cat Stevens!" <laughs> Great. And I, but I told Sonny when we like failed to find him this yeah. day, I was like, "So he's like, Dad, we didn't find him." Like, you know, he's out there somewhere, he's lost, he's all on. It's, like, it's all right, man. I think Batman's going to find him. Like, they'll, we'll turn this over to Batman now. Like, we'll, get, we'll turn this over to the authorities. Like, we couldn't do it as civilians, but Batman will be able to. And so when somebody saw the found stickers, he's like, Batman found him, he found him, he got him, he got him. Like, well, the system works. What well, I tell He's you? the like, world's greatest detective for a reason. I do love the idea, though, that it was just a super slow day for Batman. Yeah. <laughs> like, the bat signal shines. He's like, Commissioner Gordon, what's up, yes. Joker? Like, nuclear weapon. Yeah. Actually, super slow day. There's this cat called Cat Stevens. Yeah, we can't find him. He's black and white. He's well, you know the thing is, like, I've always, because I'm a huge Batman fan, but I have always thought that he's probably his most useless of all moves is the standing on the corner of a building and just, like, staring off into the night. It doesn't really feel like Get that's a drone, the most man. efficient way to, like, spot crime, but it'd be a good way to spot a cat. So this might... <laughs> just standing on the corner of the building, just, meow, oh, bugger me. Yeah. pretty lucky. <laughs> what are you doing up here, Cat Stevens? Um, death is an interesting one to me because normally at the end of the podcast I ask people what they think happens when they die but because it's come up earlier let's, let's yeah, jump into let's, it let's get it um, what, do you, what do you think happens I think that's it yeah unfortunately right. and that's why I'm so in I mean so then even just thinking about this now so then why be so obsessed with making sure at 80 you've, you, you've got this feeling that okay I lived every moment we had a we had a wide tapestry of experiences I I, I rejected being lazy when the kids were young and I, I wanted to, and I and I put the effort in to try and give them adventures and experiences if that's all just so I can feel better and then two minutes later I feel nothing like that's a lot of effort to just feel better at 80 when you're eventually going to feel nothing anyway but I think I'm still going with it I'm still I'm not going to be like oh well nothing happens after you die anyway so who cares about making memories I mean it'd be a terrible podcast if I talked you out of it <laughs> you just go home you're like, just like yes I'm trying to fill up this hard drive with memories but remember the hard drives do get erased at the end yeah. of it so what's the point <laughs> But I still think it, I, I do still think it's worthwhile. Unfortunately, I, I just yeah. I think well, but that's okay. But that's the essential question of this whole thing, which is like if you believe that you know, often people you know use a thing that they believe happens after we die to create meaning for their lives, and yeah. that is a legitimate thing to do. Um, well, yeah, I suppose I'm, what I am doing is like the closest we've got to life after death is kids, is the people that knew us, loved us, that we impacted. You know, people like yourself included. Like you know, you got millions of people that you've 
impacted that at least you've added a piece. Like I know it's it's a weird thing, probably the weird thing for us to think as humans because we're like, well, what if what you mean like one tiny thought or quote, like Stephen Hawking, you know, he recently passed away, and even now his life is getting reduced to quotes. And like you can be that brilliant, like, but that's the thing. We've had brilliant people. We've had billions of them i did and notice so i best, did notice with the stephen hawking thing there was a lot of just like quotes of him going look at the stars don't look at your feet star things and i'm like you know he wrote a whole like book about it explained time sure and the universe, invented, right? he theorized black holes and yeah. we backed it up later but right. yeah we're like no just just reduce it to the tea towel quotes yeah. that we can handle <laughs> man the saddest thing i thought about stephen hawking's death was like half even like he was he, i don't think his body was even cold and half the headlines were like you know, he was married three times and yeah. uh, he was a little bit of a ladies' man. He was a real ladies' man. But well, that's, like, there's I mean, been worse ladies' men. Let's, can we, let's focus on the physics and what he's given to humanity. Well, the other thing about Stephen Hawking is like, and uh, again, maybe this is a, like, uh, it's hard for me to even say this without it feeling like it's going too far. But it's like that idea of going, surely Stephen Hawking was the sort of ladies' man that the lady had to be consensually into the idea of it because... I, I, he needed a captive audience. Right. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he was... I think that's know. why they were always nurses. Like, I, right. And this is how I was as a teen and in my 20s too. Like, I didn't have a lot of... I wasn't a great-looking guy. I didn't have a great bod. I had to play a long game with girls. Like, you know, Stephen, he would have played a very long game. You're in the room with him all day. You're, yeah. This guy's super brainy. I mean, some why great do you thoughts. think he theorised what, you know, black holes and the nature of the universe? It was to meet girls. It was, <laughs> it was to, to impress girls. He, he was like, I'm going to come up with only really long theories yeah. that take several hours to explain so I can get a lot of face time right. with girls. Yeah. I'm not like, Pythagoras was an idiot. His theory's over and done with in like <laughs> 10 words. Exactly. <laughs> so... I, going back to what we were talking about, I think like that's you know, for me, I think it, you're, it's over. There, unfortunately, there is no immortality, but you do get to pass on your tiny, tiny bit of, if you're lucky, bit of data, bit of imprint onto the next generation, and that iterative process, you know, that's what's given us human culture, and that's kind of all you get. Even if you were brilliant, in the end, you you know, you get to put one little piece in the stack. There's a line of thought that says that we may be the last generation of people who actually do die in the sense that we understand what death is. That Escape velocity. Our consciousness might be... Our consciousness... Our, could be captured. Could be captured mm. and uh, put into our artificial uh, intelligence. I was and reading about this. live on. Is that something that you... What how is, do you feel about that? I was reading about this the other day. So, Ray Kurzweil, do you know Ray Kurzweil, the I futurist? do. I have actually... Met him. I did a oh, gig with him. That would be awesome. Uh, was it good? Uh, he's the guy who sort of posited the idea of the singularity originally. And yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's yeah. one of those guys who like has some great title at Google, like Chief he was Futurist, futurist yeah, or something yeah. like that. You know, Which is and, less testable than pastist yeah. <laughs> historian. Yeah. So he was, um, one of the things he said was that uh, the trickiest thing for, uh, for AI to replicate was humour. Because humour is like and, something yeah. that is a little bit hard to... It's why people get so, and I'm sure you've experienced this over the years... You know, people will say of someone, and you see it all the time, that person's not funny or that person's shit. And you're like, well, I mean, clearly they're funny to a whole bunch of people yes. because they've like had 20 years of a career. They're like, still there. Yeah, entertaining yeah. people. The carrot top is still there in Vegas. It might not be your thing, but he's there. But it's one of those things, I think, comedy, that is even unexplainable to human beings in a sense of like... There's you know, no algorithm what? yet. Right. Yeah. And for every time that you think there's a rule, there is. There's, yeah, that's just the rule until someone can disprove it and that's the new funny way of doing it so in terms of capturing yes i mean yeah if you could completely capture every synapse and every every part of the the human brain there was the thing that i was reading the other day was about the escape velocity which is the point in the 
the technological evolution of anti-aging and, and life extending technologies where for every year that you live, your life expectancy grows by more than a year. So as, as we're getting kind of like more specific DNA medications for cancer and things like that and CRISPR technologies can make up, you know, you can just, you can get a nanobot that can now like invade a cell in your body and destroy anything at once. So as that's advancing, like, so yeah, maybe for people under 50, we've we'll we'll hit escape velocity where our life extending technology like outstrips how fast we're just naturally decaying it's a really weird one because you're like it's i I don't know if our i don't know if our brain is ready to live forever i think we it's a it would be really as it could be it could be humanities there's the theory to that there could be humanities leap from being humans to gods like we'll now be immortal literally we'll be gods and we can create things but geez i mean i don't want to shock anyone here but it's gonna be a doozy when it happens <laughs> <laughs> if, if i might if i can reduce it to that that's gonna be a doozy because i just think we know we're gonna like you know talking about sunny being born i'm sure that experience isn't unique to me going oh my god i'm gonna die i've just realized this that i'm mortal we all know it like that's part of being human. Like we all know we've got. I mean, will it will it just strip meaning out of life? Like, will everything become? I can just do that later, because I have infinity time now up my sleeve. It might, yeah. It, I don't know. I don't know how much we'll want it. Or I probably like with a lot of this stuff, we might split. Like as soon as we can put software in our heads and we can have you know neural links and people can you can learn a language in ten seconds because you have. Half you, you know, you have a bit of hardware in your brain that you can put programs on. Maybe half of humanity goes, "Yeah, I want that," and the other half goes, "I'm going to stay OG. I'm going to stay totally organic." And we might split. Like maybe this is this is the start of a split. So yeah. I don't know if I would want it. It's interesting to me because am I very very old when? Um, do I keep aging physically? Well, and- I imagine that you don't keep aging physically at some point, right? Mm. Or I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have the technology available, so I can't I mean, run you through. I got a few body issues, and I know you do too. Like, yeah. I'd take pain free. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I would just take pain free. Oh I yeah, could. robot from the waist down. I'd be very <laughs> happy with. Much. To be honest, <laughs> um, I am interested in, I guess, the advance of technology and how quickly it's happening, yeah. and how terrifying Blows that can mind. be because I, I was uh, we're moving house obviously you're in my very minimalist uh, new house that uh, if there's literally nothing downstairs except yeah. a gas fire so it does look it looks a bit evil there <laughs> it's like polished concrete floors and one of those pebble gas fires yeah and just some plastic uh, wrapping on the floor and I made you stand in the middle of it <laughs> uh, no it's um, so we were going through the attic in uh, Sydney the other night and there's stuff in there that was put in that attic 13 years ago when we moved into their house and hasn't emerged from the attic uh, oh, in those 13 got? years. What's your time capsule? Well, you know what the thing is? The further you went back into the attic, it was like you were going further and further back through time. And like it reminded you how quickly, because it's only 12 or 13 yeah, years. Like if you find old phones and old cameras. Like remember digital cameras? We boxes. <laughs> they used to be a thing. Boxes we... of videotapes. I couldn't oh, believe wow. that videotapes were still in the last 10 or 12 years. Boxes of videotapes. Yeah, mini DV. And the other one is that we had um, uh, floppy disks. 
not the full on old floppy ones, but the <laughs> hard floppy Mate, don't in try the and, middle. And try and say you had the cool floppy. <laughs> <laughs> it was just three and a quarter, and at the five and a half. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't using this on an Atari Commodore sixty four. This was a IBM floppy disk. It, but it's it speaks to the idea of how quickly the technology advances. In year twelve, I finished year twelve in nineteen ninety nine, and we I went to high school in Victoria. And we had to do things called cats, like, you know, your big assessment for the year, like every, similar to what I'm sure they got today. But we would have them, and they were just Word documents, but I still remember going to school every day with a floppy in my top pocket going, like, 100% going, I'm, I'm at school in the future. Like, I have a computer disc in my pocket. And I would never, can I imagine if I could have told myself in primary school, I would have a computer disc in my pocket. I'm a cyborg. And now, like... I, I'm, like now it's insane what kids are doing at school and I've got a similar drawer of technology that I've kept deliberately for that reason like every phone I've owned I had an iPhone 1 like an, a cracked iPhone 1 and I was just like I've got to keep this for my kids you go and pick it up and like at that stage they were future kids it feels like it's bubbled do you know what I mean like they were very very round they were like very three-dimensional first iPhones now they're flat like we just think of them as flat bits of technology but it looks like someone's got a current iPhone and put about 10 times atmospheric pressure in it because they're just like, they're like little lilos. Like they're so fat, those original phones. And that's an iPhone, which at the time was insane. I remember uh, going overseas, uh, you know, uh, and when I was probably 20 or something, and I had one of the first, you know, flip phone, Motorola, you know, mobile phones. And I'm in Times Square in New York City and I ring someone in Australia and I am just like, my mind is more blown by the fact that we are speaking in real time between New York City and Australia and yet now we have video phones it's and crazy. we just like it, and kids get them to like if, and if they just, those away for right. the night or something or I'm away for the night and we FaceTime no problem for a three year old to hold a phone and go how's it going dad yeah I understand just you're on used phone. to it yeah what's just what is this just data streaming who cares yeah, yeah that's fine I totally understand that as a child and it yeah it blows our mind but then you hear that you know you hear those quotes where you're like oh but everyone in their generation thinks that technology is expe- you know accelerating so fast and if you were living in the 1400s you'd think that the new boats being built were a huge acceleration of technology. But I go, that is that true? I feel like... I reckon if it took four years for them to build a boat, it'd feel like four years, (laughs) right? Well, but they're like, but look at our new sail ship compared to like what we had, you know, 10 years ago Mm. we were in this piece of shit and now we've got these like 100 cannons or whatever. (laughs) There's always that argument made of like to, to, to your generation, it seems like, you know, that old adage of like, oh, it seems like teenagers don't listen to their elders and it's just the same for every generation. Even though I hear that, I still go, you know, I feel like our generation's really booming. Like, I think there's like, a rapid increase in it. And I think that our capacity to understand the side effects of it um, is not uh, at advancing at the same rate as the technology advances. And that's like we have a, whatever it is, you know, 500,000-year-old brain largely unchanged in our heads. And then suddenly if you're telling that brain and, and, and we, you know, the, the cognitive process we've inherited and we've had to like pretty quickly adapt to modern technology, if you're telling that brain, oh, by the way, now you don't die, I think that's a pretty big shift for that brain to, to kind of make out of left field. But it's it fascinates me all this stuff. Like I'm deeply fascinated by it. But the thing that probably excites me the most is like we just don't know. Like that, that we really don't know. Like we get a vague idea of like I think it's going to be AI and it's probably going to be specific medicines and uh, machine learnings. You know that's you know. But we really I love this frontier and and there's definitely stuff you can read that makes you less scared about it. Um, there's a book called The Rational Op- uh, Rational Optimist, which is a pretty good book to like 
not panic about the future. Like it's a, it makes a pretty good argument to 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 go. All right, well, this is exciting. Like we've always we've always kind of ended up on our feet as humans, even if we've had bad patches. But I one one at one one thing I read once that always strikes me as super super interesting is like they asked there was a study where they asked a lot of people in the 60s like all right what's the future going to look like or it might have been 1970 what's the future going to look like and everyone was like everyone gave amped up versions of current technology so everyone's like well there'll be mini nuclear weapons and we'll be living on the moon because we just went there and cars seem to be getting better they'll probably fly um and planes will be let's say 10 times as fast because everyone's just like we we understand what we've got now so there'll just be better versions of that but no one predicted the internet and that's easily the biggest change that humanity's been through in the last 50 years is the internet. So I was like, all right, well, what, what's the thing that we're not seeing? Like, what's the 50 years from now in 2068, what's the internet that we are completely blind to now? And hopefully, hopefully it's something that doesn't destroy our race. Uh, how do you, uh, you talked about when you were a kid having fear do you have fear as an adult, uh, like, you know, that same sort of fear that, you know, about you know, throwing yourself into a project or things that yeah. you're doing in your life? Is that still something that you, yeah. you know, live with that's yeah. part of you? I do. I wish I didn't. But then I, th- but I think, and I'd almost ask the same question of yourself too, but I believe it doesn't go away. You just have to understand it better. Like, especially if you're maybe, like, our experience is the creative side of things. But I'm sure if you're a scientist too and you've got a hunch for a theory that you want to investigate or if you're a dancer and you're like, God, I want to, I want to dance my way and I'm going to do it different. You know? <laughs> whatever you are, whatever your field is where you're trying to put something out there that, you're, that resonates with you or whatever it is you're trying to spend your time on you know, to, you know, for whatever you're pursuing. I don't think that fear goes away. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure it should. I probably probably spend a lot of my life going. Oh, I'd love to get to the stage where I'm not nervous anymore. Like you probably tend. I think people. Well, I tended to see it as a weakness or as something I'd like to get rid of. But then, as I think as I've got older, um, I think the truth or the answer or the the a, a good place to be mentally is to know that that fear is always going to be there and it serves a good purpose. But you just have to learn to dance with it a little bit better. Like you just have to learn to kind of. Just feel it and 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 proceed <laughs> proceed anyway. Well, that's I mean that's an interesting thing to say because I think that um, yeah the idea that it might go away. You know, there was there's there's people who are born without the whatever it is that you know makes fear work in your head. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, proper sciencey and stuff. But it's, it's it's actually really terrible for you. People might imagine it'd be great to be fearless, but you know, yes, there's no. It's a you're flying a plane with no warning signs. Right, you walk into traffic. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you just like your brain doesn't compute that that car coming in the opposite direction is. You know, fear's there for a reason. Totally, it serves a purpose. You got. I mean, I'm probably a bit of an overthinker too. So you're gonna make sure it doesn't run out of control and just become pointless anxiety. Right. So how do you? deal with that That, I guess that's what I'm asking about it's like when fear is rearing you know its head and you go I have to now deal with this fear in a constructive way do you have like a way that you do that is there a process to that I reckon it's somewhere along the line like in terms of like my self-talk is if you let this like I think because a lot of times fear just wants to stop you right like for whatever reason like the fear is telling you just stop just don't do the thing don't take a risk just stop which is in the good version, that's clever because that was the edge of the cliff. So I'm glad you stopped. But in the irrational version or the the, the anxiety version, it's just telling you to stop and to, to to check yourself. 
And if it, so if it's something that I know is not actually dangerous, if I know it's something like, well, it's like it's saying something on radio or coming up with an idea or trying to do something funny, it, to me the antidote is to just to, to just even if you ever break it down into baby steps to just start doing the thing anyway, just gently start doing it. And I find as ever as I do it, that fear dissipates eventually. But if I don't do it, I think there's a level of regret. I know I'll feel a level of regret there later where I'm like, why didn't I just do it? Like, why didn't I just do the thing? Why did I listen to the fear? And I sat still. And now a day later, I could have had an experience, whether it went well or not, I would have been richer for it. But I think I'm, my, my, then I can, maybe I'm fighting fear with fear. I'm going, don't listen to this fear because I'm scared of in a day from now regretting not doing anything if that makes sense. No, that makes absolutely perfect sense. We have to finish up in a minute because I have to go and get an MRI today. So I apologise that we're going to have to cut it a bit shorter than usual because I would have liked to keep talking to you for a very long time. I have a fear, of, this. Cu- have a fear of cutting interviews short, but uh, you're watching me live I, deal with it. I have a fear of dying from whatever this lump is in my neck. So, you know. Do you have a lump in your I neck? I actually don't have a fear from that. I wish I, <laughs> I probably should have more of a fear from that. Well, as we've learned, your superpowers, you can die at any time. Any time. Do you, is it a lump in the neck thing? I've got a tumor in my neck, but it's it's benign. Fatty. Well, they think it's we they, it they think it's benign. No need to insult me, mate. Rub it in. <laughs> I mean, I found a lump in my back, and they're like, "No, oh, that's just fat." I was like, well, "It seems to be renegade fat that's like bundled together." Yeah, as a team. mine is. They believe a schwana sh- 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 nomor or something. There's some like this is how you're blase. I I've had my it. share of tests over time. So I'm sure you have too. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's like just let the doctors be doctors. Right. Like don't look at Google because. I was like, you know what? I was like, 100%. God damn it, I've got a freaking brain tumor. My ear hurts. Um, that's right where I would hold my phone. Like, what am I? What an idiot. What am I doing? I knew I should have gone hands free, listen to mum, get that weird phone case that's got the electromagnetic chip in it or whatever that sucks the negative energy out. And I just had a strained jaw muscle. So like, right. <laughs> and, I, and I remember I'm looking at the scan of my head, my brain, which is like, was very non, like, just very clear of all tumors, still being like, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm, I was just 100% convinced I had brain cancer. I've had several, I've had testicular cancer five or six times. And it's always from bike riding. And, <laughs> and I've recovered every time because the doctor's going, hey, have you had a new seat or something? Like, I did get a new seat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance that's what it is. <laughs> I would have guessed. Yeah, I've had this lump for ages. They did a biopsy and everything to make sure, but it, it, it's been, it, and they basically said at the time, we're not going to do anything about it unless it starts giving you some trouble. And then the other day, I was like i don't think i'm breathing very well uh, <laughs> do you think that's trouble so um so whiny anderson's going yeah. back in wants was... to breathe all day long <laughs> enjoy your breaths now can we get back to treating real patients yeah. you no, know that's what? good that's well that, you know the thing legit. about it is it's like that thing of i should be more i realize that like i only have one skill that pays my bills which is the the ability to essentially yeah. talk i need air so i need air <laughs> i need like, air it's, it's a very, very cheap overhead, uh, but I need it. I don't want to be a prima donna about it. I just need to be able to breathe. Just a regular regular sea level oxygen saturation. I'm not asking for fresh air or anything. Oh, I no, just... no. We don't need a humidifier. Yeah, I'll even I sometimes mean... put smoke in the air as a bit of a laugh. Oh, but, yeah, it's fine. But I do need enough just air to breathe. need some of it to be able to breathe. Well, just really to be able to put it into my body. Yeah, it's just a bellows. It's a basic bellows system. And, yeah. I, and then I will get out of your head. The environment yeah. is supplying the air for free. I just need some sort of way to suck it into you my body. You won't even notice it's gone. Yeah. I'm going to take hardly any. <laughs> Um, yes, but I do. Um, I don't have that level of fear for that. But I do have 
fear when it comes to performing perf- still well, or, or performing, coming up with new material but new material like yeah. i mean that fear that you know i i was having talking to uh, dave thornton about this the other day which is that idea of just um the idea that almost every comedian at some stage gets to that point where they're not as funny as they used to be. Sure. Like or, or you have that golden two years where you are what the world needed. Right. And not everyone can, you don't get to be there forever. Well, I mean, I'm just talking about comics. I've not experienced it. But you see, like, comics going, right, you were what the, like, Paul Reiser, you were what the world needed. Right. And you were global. Everyone was mad about you. But you're not going <laughs> to be, we're not going to be mad about you forever. No. And I still want, I'm like, are you okay with that, Paul Reiser? Because, you know, no one said you're going to get it forever. I hope you enjoyed your two years. And there's a, a, you understand that at all times yeah. you know you understand that at all times that some at some stage people are not going to be as interested in it as they are 100%. now and i can and i think that's the new phase of fear in my life is like when is it now <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you know, in the old days like or, or has it been happening yeah. for three years and i still think i'm there in yeah. the old days um it used to be that thing of like if you what joke didn't work on stage you'd be like oh well i'll just get that joke right whereas now if a joke doesn't work i go well i guess that was it that was it <laughs> yeah. that's it oh well, i had a good run well i've always wanted to operate a gondola i wonder yeah. if i could get a job at a ski field <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm gonna do some emergency amateur surgery <laughs> i'm just gonna exactly. give it a crack i'm gonna find another another industry that you need no license yeah. to do how many safeguards can there actually be well hey Misha it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast Mate, thank you so much. much for making the effort to do it I, I love really that you do it. I love that you do this podcast That's thank awesome. you well, um, is there anything that we can plug you have a podcast nah, uh, I mean, yeah, you did, yeah, yeah we did a good job at the start <laughs> It's you know if you've downloaded this you know how to podcast. Oh, so. what about our, is anything else though? You can plug anything else. It doesn't have to be about you. you can, is Zoe got a book out or something? Oh, you mean Zoe's always doing stuff. She's prolific. Yep. I mean, again, I don't know when this is launching, but she's guaranteed to have a product or a book out this week. Breakup Boss, if you're going through a breakup, um, is a terrific. I think that's a terrific service that she's providing for heartbroken people. Big summer of cricket coming up this year. <laughs> Big God. summer of cricket. Go Aussies. What do you, are, are you? What is your sport of choice? You're a Melbourne football club fan. I'm right? a Melbourne footy club fan, and I love. I do love. I do love footy. I'm not. I'm not evangelical about it. Like I don't. You know. Like well, I, I turned mean, down. I mean, yeah. for the, the club's own good, I turned down the number one ticket holder a few years ago. <laughs> And it and it went to Ron Barassi. I'm like, well, that, that seems well, like a bit. It's bit weird of a, that that was the pecking order. Seems like a bit of a benefit, don't you reckon? <laughs> <guys? laughs> yeah, I feel like. Well, well, what's he done for the club? Sorry, I didn't know you're just going to give it to anyone. No, yeah. I'll take it back. I'll, just... I'll, I'll have it. Thank you. Tell Ron I would. I'd like it back. But you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I'll get to like five or six games a year. But like, let's. I also just love the person in the office who's putting together that list. <laughs> Like, how are you juggling that? I mean, all due respect There's to you. There's that one but... guy that keeps calling. Should we give it to him? <laughs> <laughs> he seems persistent. But um, but I'm a big cricket fan as well. Like, I do love. I do okay, love so... I grew up playing cricket. No, I'm a big. Uh, so uh, when you say big cricket fan, so like uh, I mean, just to finish on a bit of fun, but um, are you like following the series in South Africa at the moment? We have have done yes. Although, I mean, this is the day. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to Rabadi. Have they dropped him? Let's well, so. Well, basically, at the stage we're recording this, so Rabada got uh, their fast bowler who yep. ripped through us in the second test, has now been suspended, but now they're launching a protest. It's not for the, was it for the shoulder bump? 
Was he suspended for the well? He's, he's got a, he's got a, a whole bunch of points already. This is what people wanted to hear at the end, isn't it? A discussion of the point system. <laughs> a discussion around. of Will and I trying to dissect the yeah. ICC's point system yeah. in another country. There's off, a point off system. Vague headlines we might have read. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and based on a story that actually everybody will know what happened inside out, and he's probably been reinstated. <laughs> all right. Good point. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for being part of it, mate. It was Thanks, nice man. To do. Good luck with the MRI. <laughs> 